Good morning, everyone. Did you enjoy your extra hour in bed? I certainly did. It's good to welcome you to the church this morning, those here in the sanctuary, and those who are joining us online, either at this time or later in the day or the week. I want you to know what a great encouragement it is to us to have you join us in worship. There are members of the congregation not able to join us in person, but who join us online. There are others in Stirling and indeed throughout the country and from other countries in the world. And so I want you to know, those joining us online, that we greatly appreciate it. And you're very much a part of our church family here in St. Ninian's Old. And though we may be separated, some of us, by many miles, we are united, close together in our love for God and our desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as God's people, let us worship God. We sing to his praise and glory, hymn 484, 484, Great God, your love has called us here.
Let us pray. Great God, we praise you for your love, your love evident in creation, and your love expressed to the full in Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for your love, a love that surrounds us and sustains us, and a love which affirms us and gives us hope. Almighty God, your love is such you know each one of us by name. We confess we are unworthy of your goodness. When we look at our lives, we see so much that is wrong and so little that is right. We have failed to truly appreciate your gifts to us, and we are quick to pass judgment on others. Gracious God, we praise you that you are a God who does not hold our sins against us, and that in Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, you forgive us. Assured then once more of your mercy, help us to demonstrate our gratitude in loving service, and enable us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you, the one who has redeemed us, and who claims us as your own. Almighty God, as we offer our worship to you, grant us a renewed sense of your presence. And as we hear your word, let us be strengthened in our faith and go into this new week, knowing that come what may, nothing can separate us from you or your love as it is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. These things we humbly ask in his name, and as the one people, we say the prayer our Saviour taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. The Blythewood Care Christmas shoebox appeal officially closes today, but the good news is, if you forgot to take donations or your shoebox, you can bring them next Sunday because the boxes are not being taken from the church until a week tomorrow. So if you're sitting there saying, I forgot, then don't worry. You can bring your gifts next Sunday morning. And a big thank you to everyone who has supported the appeal this year. The Tuesday group will meet in the parish halls this coming Tuesday at 2 o'clock. There'll be a quiz and a time of fellowship, and all will be very, very welcome. We begin a series of Advent studies this coming Thursday at 7 o'clock in Park Church, and we will meet every Thursday throughout November. Isn't it hard to believe? November and Advent. What a quick year this has been. But that's a series of Advent studies, Thursday at 7 o'clock for the first one. And then we're in the season for soup, so there'll be a soup and sandwich lunch in the parish halls this Saturday, beginning at 12 noon, and again, all will be welcome. It's wonderful to see people gather in the hall for that time of fellowship, as well as good nourishment. Articles for the winter edition of the Parishioner of the Church newsletter, which will cover the months of December, January and February, should be submitted by the 12th of November. That will be two weeks today. Articles can be left in the McMichael Chapel or emailed to the address on the intimation sheet. Finally, if anyone's interested in becoming a communicant member of the Church, 
or who would like to know what communicant membership involves, please do speak to me. A couple of you have spoken to me already, and that's great. But if anyone else would like to find out about church membership, please do speak to me at any time. I wonder, do you know what this is? Any ideas? Maybe difficult from a distance. Will I say? Will I help you if I say it's something that you can attach to you? What do you think it is? A name badge. That's right. A name badge. Now, quite often, if someone's got a name badge, they'll put it onto their jacket or their jumper, whatever it is that they're wearing, and that means that people who maybe don't know us that well, or who are meeting us for the first time, can see what our name is. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has had the experience of speaking to someone, uh, being deep in conversation, and I'm saying to myself, now, I know your name, but I just can't remember it at this time, and I try to glance without them seeing me at the name tag so that I can then call them by their name. Name tags can be a big help. And I think it's nice when, for example, we're maybe in the supermarket and the person at the checkout has a name tag on. I think it's nice to call them by their name because that's a way of showing them that we appreciate them and what they're doing. We are affirming them in their role. And the only problem that can occur with that is if they're wearing someone else's name tag. <laughs> One of the many wonderful, wonderful things about our God is that though there are many, many boys and girls and men and women in the world, he knows each one of us by name. Isn't that quite something? We're told that in the Old Testament and in the book of the prophet Isaiah where we read the Word of God. Do not be afraid. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And we read that too in the New Testament and in the Gospel where Jesus often called people by their name. Simon, Peter, Martha, Mary, or Lazarus who was dead, but Jesus called back to life. Lazarus, come out. By calling people their name, Jesus was expressing his love for them. He was affirming them as individuals who matter to God. And he does that with you and with me. So if ever you think you're alone or that you don't matter, that no one really cares for you, think again. Jesus Christ, the one whose name is above all names, knows you and knows me by name. That means we matter to him, so much so that he calls us to follow him. We sing the hymn 533, 533, will you come and follow me? If I but call your name.
Let us hear the word of God as it is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on the Pew Bible at page 604. Isaiah verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will also not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The second reading is taken from the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. can be found on the Pew Bible, at page 55, starting at verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Amen. May God bless these readings from his name, and to his name be the honour and the glory. Thank you, Rod. We sing the hymn 737, 737, will your anchor hold in the storms of life?
Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time when we can draw near to you and in the quiet of this place share with you those things that are on our minds. We pray, O God, for our troubled world, a world in which there is so much conflict and war, a world in which there is so much hatred, exploitation and suffering. And yet, remarkably, it is a world you love, and therein lies our hope that a new day will dawn, a day in which peace will prevail, love will triumph, and broken lives be made whole. And this we pray particularly at this time for the people of Israel and Palestine. Lord God, you are our rock and redeemer. We pray for those whose daily work hangs heavy upon them, those who have no job and who yearn for the opportunity to use their skills. We remember, too, <clears throat> those who are ill, those who are wrestling with infirmity and no longer able to do the things they once did. We pray also for the dying and for those who mourn, remembering as we do the family and friends of John Hall, Jenny Oliver and others whom we know. Lord Jesus, you restored the widow's son to life. Be with all who walk through the valley of tears. Grant them the knowledge that you are with them. And may the hope of the gospel give them comfort and the strength to endure. Gracious God, for life in all its amazing variety for the opportunity to do good and make a difference, for the joy of human love, our families and our friends, for laughter and for fun, we praise you, the Lord of life. Eternal God, to you a thousand years are but a day that is past, we thank you for those we have known and loved and who now rest in your nearer presence. We praise you for every loving thought and memory of them and we rejoice that because Jesus lives, we too will live and know with them that life that shall endless be. Gracious God, hear this our prayer, and with it the silent prayers of our hearts, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Ye holy angels bright, hymn 179.
Nain was a Galilean town not far from Nazareth. And it was there that one day two crowds met. One was following Jesus. There was an air of excitement and expectation in this crowd. More and more people had observed the things that Jesus did and heard him speak, and they wondered what he would do next, and therefore they decided to follow him. The other crowd was very different. There was no joy or excitement, for it was a funeral procession. All that could be heard was weeping and wailing, and tears flowed freely as a widow prepared to bury her only son. Two very different crowds. And on the day in question, both were to witness something remarkable, something that caused many to pause and to wonder. Luke sets the scene, and being a doctor as he was, he pays particular attention to detail, not least where the well-being of people is concerned. My friends, if ever a story spoke of the poignancy of human life, it is surely this one. A catastrophe had occurred. Virgil, the Roman poet, in an immortal phrase, spoke about the tears of things. What we have before us today is a pitiful scene, and yet, sadly, it is one that is repeated day in and day out in our world. People losing loved ones before their time. Losing loved ones through illness or through an accident or as we are witnessing in these days in Israel and Palestine through human action. I don't need to tell you but I'm going to. Life is a precious thing. Too precious for words. And it can change ever so quickly. And therefore, we have to value every day. And can I put it to you? We have to value one another, our families, our friends, those we meet in the course of our daily lives. There is here in this story before us today human sorrow. Now, though it may appear that the woman who had lost her son, was surrounded by a vast number of people endeavouring to support her as best they could. In many ways, she was on her own. You see, at that time, it was the norm for those who were mourning to pay people to mourn with them. That sounds so strange, doesn't it? That's an alien concept to us. To actually pay people to come and join you and mourn with you. But that is how it was in the East at the time we're thinking about. Thus, many of those in this particular crowd would have no real sympathy for the woman. They were professional mourners. 
There are a few of them about today. <laughs> but these mourners, they were paid. This was something they did regularly. It provided them with a source of income. So apart from possibly a few friends and neighbors, this woman was on her own. And to make matters worse, as the funeral procession made its way to the cemetery, they encountered the other crowd. It was bad timing. And the other crowd, well, it was exuberant and noisy, following one, well, one who was full of life and perhaps who had a twinkle in his eye. Those in that crowd, no doubt, quietened down. They would have a fleeting sympathy for the woman and her plight. But soon she would be gone. She'd be out of the way. And the party atmosphere would resume. No one in that crowd really understood what she was going through. Apart from one man. A man no longer laughing. But who sensed her grief and wanted to help. Luke tells us, on seeing the woman, Jesus was moved to the very depths of his being. Isn't that quite something? His heart went out to this woman. And that's something that we see in Jesus Time and time again, whenever he saw people in need, the sick, the rejected, the hungry, he felt for them. But more than that, he helped them. But there's more to this story than may it first appear. Jesus not only felt for the woman in her sorrow, he knew what it meant for her in regard to her ability to live. Let me explain what I mean. At that time in Galilean culture, a woman was not allowed to work. That sounds all right, maybe. But she depended on her husband. And that was all right as long as her husband was alive. But if the husband died and she had a son, she depended on the son. And if the son died, then... On many occasions, a woman in that situation had to beg. What a tragic situation. The woman's son was her means of support. And without him, she would not only have to deal with her grief, she would actually struggle to live. Isn't it true that sometimes we fail to fully appreciate the plight of others and what the consequences of certain events can be? We sympathize, for example, with someone who is grieving but do we actually spend time thinking of what that involves with regard to perhaps their financial situation or their 
social standing or their ability to interact with others? Do we think about the terrible loneliness and emptiness that grief can bring? Without her son, this woman would not only continue to mourn, she would struggle financially. And if forced to beg, well, her self-esteem would take a terrible knock. And this Jesus knew. And therefore, he felt for her on both counts. He had compassion for her. And the people observing this, well, they must have been amazed. At the time in question, there was a view, not least among a group of people known as Stoics, that God was incapable of feeling, that he was remote, isolated, far off. But Jesus confounded this mistaken belief and Isaiah confounded it too in the passage Rod read to us. What did God say? I am the Lord, your God. Do not be afraid. I have called you by name. You are mine. These are not the words of some far-off being, devoid of emotion or feeling. These are the words of a God who cares deeply and passionately for his people. So much so, that in the fullness of time, he came to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, that we might come to know him and his love and love him in return. My friends in the town of Nain, those with eyes to see and ears to hear were presented with the amazing concept of one who was the Son of God, being moved to the very depth of his being. In the ancient world, that was a staggering, mind-blowing revelation. Jesus' compassion was fueled by the widow's plight. And the great truth is, as he came to her in her need, so he comes to us in our need. When we feel forgotten or overlooked or overwhelmed by grief, the Saviour comes. The words of the old hymn put it well. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. In her time of need, Jesus was there. I recall, as I'm sure you do as well, the Lockerbie disaster in 1988 when 270 people lost their lives. The moderator of the Church of Scotland at the time was the Right Reverend James White. And he preached a sermon in the local parish church a few weeks after the disaster. He was himself grieving the loss of his own wife, who had died some months earlier. And he was distressed by the awful tragedy that had taken place. And yet he was able to proclaim that God was not distant from those who had died. 
those who were injured, those who grieved. God was instead there in the midst of it all. And many in this country and other countries found great comfort in the moderator's words. A catastrophe, compassion, and finally, to these things, Luke adds the consequences. Can you, for a moment, picture the scene? There is the coffin, or more likely a basket, containing the dead body being carried through the town. And Jesus went up to the widow, and he said, do not weep. Now, that is not something that we say to those who grieve. Do not weep. That would be insensitive, heartless even. But Jesus was neither of these. He knew only too well what the woman was going through. And perhaps the woman sensed it in his words, his voice, his eyes. Jesus was there to help And in saying what he did, he was making a point, one for us all to remember. He knew what he was doing. He was in control. And he asked us to trust him today and in the days to come. For he is one acquainted with suffering and familiar with grief. Having spoken to the dead man's mother, he laid his hand in the basket and said, Young man, I tell you, get up. What an atmosphere! There must have been. All eyes would have been in Jesus and then on the young man who sat up and began to speak. I'm sure there were doing more than a few gasps in both crowds that day. My friends, while we may not fully understand what happened, There is a wonderful truth in these words. Jesus claimed for life a lad who had been marked for death. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus claimed for life a lad who had been marked for death. Many years before, the psalmist declared, Tears may linger at nightfall, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That we can testify to. Our faith does not dehumanize us. When bad things happen, we feel it. When a loved one dies, the grief is real. But in Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who experienced death and triumphed over it. And what is more, we have his wonderful promise that we will triumph too. He is indeed the resurrection and the life. And because of that, death does not have the last word. Billy Graham, the American evangelist, once said, One day you will hear news that I have died. Don't believe it for a minute. I 
will be more alive than ever. I will only have changed my address. Isn't that wonderful? That is the truth at the heart of the gospel. No wonder those who watched events unfold that day in Nain were filled with awe and praised God. And what was it they said? Do you remember? God has come to help his people. That same God is with us still to help us and to give us that life which George Matheson described so well in his hymn, Life That Shall Endless Be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Let us take a moment to reflect on the quiet and God's love and care for us. Amen. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Our closing hymn, hymn 352.
May God, who is the ground of our hope, fill you with joy and peace, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you now and forevermore.